Good morning. The scripture passage today, Ephesians 5, 17 to 20, and Colossians 3, 16. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the word of God. Once again, it's great to worship with all of you. Thank you for sharing, each one of you that, that did today and prayed today. Um, Jacques and Nancy, it's wonderful to have you here. It's wonderful to meet you in person and to hear uh, face-to-face the work that God's doing through you. And it's just, in a sense, beginning through you. We look forward to hearing how he continues this work until its completion. Oh, praise God for you. I wonder if and how music has influenced your life. I wonder how, what role music has played in your life. Maybe it's been a very large role. Maybe you're a musician. Musicians here. Maybe you're a music fan, a consumer of music, and you enjoy it. You're aficionado, maybe. A music snob, perhaps. Uh, Maybe you're a karaoke pro. You enjoy singing, whether it's in the karaoke club or it's in the shower or it's with other people or maybe you're just ambivalent about music you don't really think about it much you don't really have music playing in your life that often I would venture to say that even if you do feel somewhat ambivalent about music it's safe to say that music has played a powerful role in your life it's an influential role because music is in and of itself powerful Music has the power, for instance, to trigger memories. Does this ever happen to you? A song comes up and you can remember certain scenes in your life where you were listening to that song. There are still songs that I listen that remind me very much of the early days of my marriage with Delimar or when we lived in our first little apartment or when we took that first road trip together listening to that album again and again and again. When I first got married to Delimar, she... uh, well, actually, when we were dating, she had one cassette, tape cassette. For those of you who don't know what that is, ask someone older than you. They'll tell you that would sit in her car. And she only had one. It was this Cranberries. Do you remember the Cranberries? Some of you may. So we would listen to that thing over and over and over and over again. I'm dating her. I didn't want to insult her. So I wasn't like, why don't you get some more music, you know? I was trying to ingratiate myself towards her. So I was just like, yeah, let's listen to it again. I love it. And I did come to love it. Now, when I hear any of those songs, man, I'm just completely taken back, transported to that Volkswagen Jetta sitting next to her, thinking about what God might have for us in the future. The people with Alzheimer's, it's been shown sometimes, or with brain trauma, they can't remember much or anything, really, but certain songs that they remembered in their adolescence are still there, and they can sing along. Today we're going to be talking about the role of music in our worship gatherings. 
in corporate worship. We've been going through this series, this mini six-part sermon series called The Gathering, where we're looking at corporate worship. And what we've seen is that, yes, it's true that all of life is meant to be worship for Christians. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us so. Whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. Everything is worship. Romans 12.1 tells us our bodies, our very existence is meant to be given to God as a living sacrifice. All of life is worship. And yet, God has called the church to this here, to gathered corporate worship together on a given day of the week, on the Lord's Day, where we assemble before God with one united voice, as one united people, to worship him. And so we've been looking at corporate worship and um, each element that makes up corporate worship as we do it here at New Hope. And so today we come to the place of music in our corporate worship. It has a vital place, really. In a book entitled Worship in the Early Church, a scholar named Ralph Martin, he writes these words. He says, the Christian church was born in song. He goes on to explain that Christians are a people who sing. God's people have always been, from the earliest days, people who sing. And there's a reason for that. I like the way John Piper gets at part of that reason. He says, God is too great to be exhausted by preaching or conversation or discussion or analysis. And that's why there are songs and poetry and music. You see, God is too big to just be thought about and talked about. He must be sung about. Corporate worship certainly is more than just singing. Sometimes we talk about singing as worship, right? So, well, we have a corporate service, and we're going to take time for worship, and then there's going to be preaching, and then there's going to be prayer, as if worship is just the singing. And that's not true. I understand that we, we use it colloquially that way, but that's not what worship is. Worship is more than singing. Hopefully we're seeing that as we go through this series. And the preaching, and the sharing, and the praying, it's all worship. But singing is a vital aspect of worship. It's lovingly designed by God and given to us. It, it gives expression to the heart. Music also not just gives expression to the heart. By singing, it actually shapes the heart. You see, music and singing actively affects, it changes the way we think and feel. It changes who we are. I'm going to read to you an excerpt from a, an article in Time magazine. This is going back a few years, back in 2013, but they, in an article there, they say, science has been hard at work trying to explain why music and singing has such a calming yet energizing effect on people. And what researchers are beginning to discover is that singing is like an infusion of the perfect tranquilizer, <laughs> the, the kind that both soothes your nerves and elevates your spirits. The elation, they go on to say, may come from endorphins, a hormone that's released by singing, which is associated with good feelings of pleasure. Or, or, or also, this elation might be from oxytocin, which is another hormone released during singing, which has been found to alleviate anxiety and stress. Oxytocin also enhances feelings of trust and bonding, which may explain why still more studies have found that singing lessens, listen, singing lessens feelings of depression and loneliness. In one study, singers were found to have lower levels of cortisol, indicating lower stress. Isn't that interesting? 
a very preliminary investigation suggesting that our, suggests that our heart rates may sync up during group singing. And this could also explain why singing together sometimes feels like a guided group meditation, they say. There, there, there's the, the suggestion that possibly as we're singing together, our hearts are actually starting to sync up rhythmically the way they beat. Isn't that interesting? It turns out you don't even have to be a good singer to reap these rewards. I found that line very encouraging. Study after study has found that singing relieves anxiety and contributes to quality of life. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Is it because I want to justify the fact that we sing in church by looking at these findings? No, the reason I'm sharing this is because, as often is the case, scientific findings are confirming something that God has already told us. The, the scientific findings are confirming for us the blessedness, the goodness of something that God has already called us to. It, and it shouldn't surprise us that God knows something about brain science. That God knows something about what, how, how hormones change and levels fluctuate when we do things like singing. Christianity is not exclusively cerebral. It's not just about taking in information, processing that information, and then regurgitating it or applying it. It's not just about reading and listening, taking in that data and responding to it. It is that, but it's much more. We saw this last week. We looked at the Lord's Supper, which is not an entirely or exclusively cerebral activity. You're going to the table, and, and, and it's tangible. It's physical. It's, it, it, you're taking that bread, and you're tasting it, and you're feeling it. You're chewing it, and you're swallowing it. You're taking that cup, and, and, and all of your senses are, are heightened. They're all stimulated, all these senses that God gave you and that God wants you to worship him with. We are not exclusively cerebral beings. The elements of worship that God calls us to, they, they speak to us in our full-orbed humanity, mind, body, affections, our feelings. And God wants to be worshipped through all of it. Singing is one way we do that. We're used sometimes to when we sit in a place like this and there's someone up front or a group of people up front, especially if they have instruments in their hands, our, our culture teaches us to go into kind of audience mode, right? We become spectators. That's usually when you sit in a, you know, or stand and kind of side by side like this and there's a platform, and there's people up here with amplification. That's a concert, right? And so when we come in here, it's likely that we can fall into that pattern and think that we're here to watch, or we're here to simply listen and evaluate and clap and enjoy or critique. But that's not what we've been called to do here. We're not spectators. In fact, we're going to see that you as singers are the primary instrument in our musical worship. So we want to see a couple of things about uh, worship and singing, especially in this passage in Ephesians 5. 17 through 20. Here's three things we want to see about corporate singing. One, it's vertical. Two, it's horizontal. And three, it's spirit-filled. It's vertical, it's horizontal, it's spirit-filled. In this passage, 
we are called to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the Apostle Paul describes this in, in verse 19b. He says, you might want to open up to this. You go, we can project this, maybe this passage up there, but you can open up to it in your device or in your, in, in your physical Bible. He says in verse 19b, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, to the Lord. So congregational singing is meant to be Godward, right? We, we sing things like, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, right? We sing things like, Lord, I need you every day, every hour, I need you. We sing things like, I want to know you, Jesus, my Lord. It's Godward, it's Christward singing, if there's an audience involved, he's the audience, right? We're singing to him. But even when we're not addressing God directly in our singing, like we're not singing songs that are about you, 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 maybe we're singing about God in the third person, still we're singing to him and for him. Now this raises a couple of questions, right? Here's the first question that comes up sometimes. What if I can't sing very well? What if I can't sing very well? Notice that this passage specifies singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. With your heart. As always, what the Lord is concerned about most deeply is your heart. Right? The words of Jesus in Matthew 15, they come to mind here. He's, he's speaking to, 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 to people there and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. What's Jesus giving voice to there? He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he's saying hypocritical worship, worth of just with your mouths, is, is, it's in vain. In fact, it's offensive to God. Worship is ultimately meant to be a matter of the heart. So that means that if you can't hit the note or you can't hold the tune, this, this is not karaoke and nobody cares. Certainly God doesn't. A heart that's engaged and sincere before God, that, that desires to honor God, that's what this is about. That's what it's about. That's the essence of worship. A heart that's engaged and sincere before God. And so that raises another question. What if I walk in here and I'm not feeling it? I don't feel particularly on fire, passion-filled to worship God. Maybe I've come in here distracted or spiritually flat and dry, no desire to sing. I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I don't want to be someone that, that Jesus would look at and say, you draw near to me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me, hypocrite. God wants singing from the heart, right? So what does this mean? It certainly can mean singing from the heart, that you come in here and you're singing from a heart that's inflamed, filled with love and gratitude to Jesus. And you're eager to express that to him. But maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not there. Can you still sing from the heart? Yeah, you can. Here's a question. Do you long to be there? Maybe, maybe your heart is not on fire. But maybe there's a, a longing to be there. We, we sang earlier that, that we are desperate for the touch of Jesus. Maybe you're not desperate, but maybe you long for a time when you were desperate. You long to desire him. Maybe even that longing isn't there. But do you long for the longing to be there? <laughs> do you want it to be there? Like, like, like there's some grief 
over the absence of that longing. Like you're not trying to cover up and pretend that there's coldness. You're coming to the Lord with your coldness. You're confessing it to him. You see, with your heart means simply that you're, it's sincere and it's intentional. It reflects that, that what you're singing and your presence there reflects the reality of what you believe and what you desire to believe or what you want to desire more. So often we need to come with, before God with a heart that says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Because sometimes it looks like there's more unbelief in there than there is belief. It's not where it should be. My heart's not where I long for it to be. You're not on fire, but you're engaged and you're honest before God. That's a pleasing sacrifice of praise. And listen, it's sometimes through the singing. I I hope that you have experienced this. And if you haven't, I promise it is true. It's through the singing, not just the mouthing of words, but through the effort, the prayerful, engaged, intentional singing that our hearts actually are changed. We're engaged. Our hearts feel cold. But we're thoughtfully giving voice to truth and something changes. Have you ever experienced that? Through the worship, when it's cold and it's hard at first, our hearts are lifted up and they're freed up to praise. It's not going through motions. It's, it's giving voice to truth. Even, even though you're not feeling the weight and the glory of that truth, you're still saying it. And, and it's asking God, Lord, wake me up to the truth of what I'm singing. I need you. I don't feel like I need you, but, but you've told me I need you. Help me to feel my need for you. I want to know you, Lord. I don't want to know you as much as I should, but Lord, build in me a greater desire to know you and then reveal to me more of yourself. Step towards me in intimacy and draw me in closer and trusting him to do all that. We saw the brain science behind it, right? It's actually through the singing that hormones start fluctuating, that Shifts take place in our mind. And what is that? It's God at work using many, many different factors to bring us to a place where we desire to worship him. Some of it's physical. But just because it's physical doesn't mean that it's not God at work in the physical body that he made and gave you. And the very fact is, and we'll see this a little later, that the spirit himself begins to work in us as we sing. And by the way, that's why our, our songs, they need to represent a kind of multifaceted reality of what it means to follow Christ. All of our songs can't just be like triumphalist, victorious celebration songs, right? They can't all just be happy because that's not what we see in the scriptures and it's not, certainly not what living as a Christian always looks like. You look at the Psalms, for instance, what you see there is multifaceted expressions of the heart. We see the same psalmist who says, let's sing a new song to the Lord. Let's praise him, right? That same psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He sings that, by the way, right? How long, Lord? 
that same psalmist, he goes before God and he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See, there needs to be a place for that kind of singing in our corporate worship too. For confession, for lament. Things are not as they ought to be, Lord. I'm not going to pretend like I'm happy. I'm not going to pretend like everything's great. There's a place for lamenting, for bringing our, our sadness and our complaints to the Lord, even through song. It's not all happy praise. And that's why some of the old great hymns, they, they really get at this. They, they really do a great job of getting at the multifaceted aspects of living as a Christian. One song that many of us might know, Come Thou Fount. There's a, there's a line in there that, that, that always gets me where the, the, the author and those of us who sing it, we confess together. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I am so prone to walk away from you, Lord. See, that's not happy, chipper music. That's saying, Lord, there's a brokenness inside me that still wants to walk away from you. Come, bind me to yourself. Keep me close to you. And I'll praise you as you do it. It's all God word. It's all Christ word. It's to Jesus and it's for Jesus. And, and that's true about the whole gathering, right? We've already seen that. It's true of our music, too. But it's not just vertical. Corporate singing is vertical. It's also horizontal. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 19a. It says there, singing and making melody to the Lord. Right? Well, actually, that's 19b, sorry. 19a says, no, sorry, let me look at it, because I'm looking at my notes. I should look at the actual Bible, right? Addressing one another, 19, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, right? Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see how it's all, it's all God word, but also in the first part of 19, it says addressing one another. It's one another. And this whole idea of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, by the way, I don't want to get hung up on it, but it's just pointing to different forms of singing, right? Scholars have come up with different differentiations between what psalms are, what hymns are, what spiritual songs are. I don't want to get bogged down in that, but it's different types of songs, okay? It points again to the diversity of the types of styles of music that we can be singing. I know of churches, I was just in a church recently that sung one song in English and the next song in, in Spanish because so much of their congregation is Spanish-speaking. The diversity. But the main point here is that we're addressing one another. There's this horizontal dynamic. Do you ever think about that, folks? Do you think about that? As you sing, in this room, you are communicating to the other people in this room with you. It's not just the worship team up here, the band communicating with us. It's us communicating with them and with each other. It's the same thing that Colossians 3.16 says, which Melly also read for us earlier. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And then he says singing. And he's not saying teach and admonish one another and also sing. He's saying teach and admonish one another through singing. It's the horizontal dynamic. And, and it shouldn't surprise us because in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that everything that happens in the assembly of the church is meant to be God word, but it's also meant to be 
for the building up of the body. And that goes for singing too. So when we sing as we did today, as Curtis led us, all the redeemed washed by his blood come and rejoice in his great love. You're singing to the people in this room. If you have been redeemed by his blood, I want you to join me, church. Rejoice in his great love. So there's a teaching, but there's also this encouraging. We're we're calling each other back to God. We're even calling ourselves to God. The psalmist says, bless his name. Bless his name. He's not just talking to other people, he's talking to himself. I need to bless his holy name. Come and join me and do that together with one voice. There's teaching and there's encouraging. As Israelites were, were as the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, um, God's about to take them into this place. He says to them, he gives them a, a song to sing. He says, Moses, I want you to give this song to the people to sing. And he says, and when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song will confront them as a witness for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. God is giving them a song and saying, sing this. It will confront you with truth. It will confront you with who I am in the face of your troubles and pass this on to your offspring and keep singing it. Sing it at home. Sing it together with the church and don't forget it. There's a calling one another to be reoriented to our Savior. And this is another reason that your singing Your individual singing matters. Your voice matters. There's no place in the the gathering for us to kind of take a a step back and just be like, they're worshiping, I'm chilling. If if, If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, then your voice has been redeemed, and the purpose for which it exists primarily is to give praise to the one who gave it to you. Your voice matters. And it encourages and it helps others. And there's no doubt that it encourages the brothers and sisters that are up here playing and leading when they look out and they see us like this, singing to the Lord. Instead of like this, chilling before the Lord. It makes a difference. It makes a difference to your brothers and sisters. It certainly makes a difference to your soul, but it does to your brothers and sisters as well. Because the band isn't up here to perform for us. It's, this is not an intimate concert. The team is up here to worship, right? And the drums and the guitar and the keys, that's all worship. The the music itself, not just the voices, but the instrumentation, that's worship. God says, make a noise. Come before me with, with, with the cymbal and the lyre. I don't even know what the lyre is. I think it's a harp. We should get one in our band. We should probably get one on eBay and teach someone to play it. But the voice is what is in view here, singing to God and to us. And so as the team is up here leading, we're invited into that. They're facilitating, they're helping us to worship with our voices. And really the voice, like I said, is the key component in all this. Because you can strip away everything else. You can strip, all the instrumentation matters, right? God receives that all as worship. But you can strip it all away. If you've got voices, you've got some real worship happening. And, and I don't say that lightly. I'm very thankful for this team. I love this team. 
I live vicariously through them. I wish I could be a musician, but they won't, I can't join because I don't have any gifts or talents. So I envy their talents. I wish I could do what they do up here. I love it. Thank you, guys. What you do for us, and really it is for God, but it's for us. Every week is, it's a, it's a sacrifice, not only to God, but it's a sacrifice for our sake. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard work. It's beautiful to us, and it's beautiful to your Savior. Our hand clapping and foot stomping and hands raised and hands waving, that is all worship. And I would say more of that, New Hope, more of it, not less. Certainly in different cultures, different bodily expressions are, are more or less culturally appropriate. I don't know what you feel is appropriate, but I want to encourage you to feel free to worship physically. Hands raised and voices raised and hand clapping. Some of us are foot stompers. You want to stomp? Whatever it is, the Lord receives it. But, but let's be engaged with heart and mind and voice and body. Voice is, again, what's in view here. We sing one song from time to time. That, that I love it. It says, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. He's given it to us. And it's not just for his glory. It's for our good. We need to hear each other's voices. We're teaching one another. And even as our hearts are being shaped, it's not, it's not just cerebral, you see. When we repeat things or we sing the same song over and over again, in part it's so that we will remember it, right? God gave his people that song as they were about to enter the promised land so that they will remember his truth, right? Some of us, we listen to songs with our kids that are memory verse songs so that they will remember. There's a, there's a wonderful um, outfit. I forget where, I think they're from Nashville. I forget where they're from. Um, Seeds, of, Seeds of Worship, I think they're called. They put out these, these, these wonderful um, albums filled with music for kids it's all, it's, it's all verses. It's all passages of the Bible. It's just like well-produced and technically just really excellent. My kids loved it when they were younger. And so we, we, we use music just for this didactic purpose, but it's not just to teach. When we repeat and repeat, our hearts are being shaped. There's something about repeating together it is well with my soul. Right? It is well. Right? And then, we, and, then, and then the other side responds, with my soul. It is well. And as we do that over and over again, what's happened, even during the course of that song, some of us have been deeply ministered to. And some people criticize modern worship music because it's too repetitive. And I think it's possible. Sometimes it's too repetitive, but I got no problem with repetition. You want to see repetition, read Psalm 48. The man says, praise the Lord, one million times in that psalm. Repetitive. Praise the Lord. Praise him in the gates. Praise him in the highest heavens. Praise the Lord. Why do we sing the same songs again and again? This is what God's people have always done. And then we sing new songs too. And we're encouraging one another. 
we're reminding each other that we're following Jesus together. See, when we're sitting in the room together and we're singing, even if our hearts aren't necessarily syncing up rhythmically the way the, the scientists say, I believe they're right, but even if it's not true or it's not happening on a given day, we are still being united because we're reminding each other, you're not alone in this. I believe this too. Oh, you believe this? Sometimes I feel like, I feel like I'm crazy for believing this. You believe it too? Calling one another to love Christ through singing. Do you know that God draws people closer to himself through your singing? Whether it's on key or not. And God can use your song to bring you and others here closer to him. It's the word to, to parents, moms and dads. What, what do you think it communicates to your kids what do you think it communicates to your family when you sing loudly and with your hearts engaged to the Lord about the Lord in the presence of your kids? What do you think that communicates to them about your heart towards the Lord and about how great this God is? What does it communicate when you're disengaged or on your phone or bored? What does that say about your God and his worship? Not only to your kids, but to the people around you. With your heart, engage and absorb the truth you are singing. And one obvious takeaway from this is that we need to hear each other's voices. So just in passing, I'll mention that's one of the reasons we try to keep volume somewhat, you know, modulated low, softly here. We don't turn up the amps super loud. Sometimes louder than others, it's all good. I love it all. But the fact is that we want to hear each other's voices. Because <laughs> we can't walk out Colossians 3.16 and we can't walk out Ephesians 5.17 unless we can, or 18, unless we can hear each other's voices. What we sing needs to be true as well. This is another obvious takeaway. It needs to be, we, we, there needs to be doctrinal truth and theological depth in our songs. That, that now, now, not every song is going to contain every piece of truth. That's why we don't just sing one song, right? Nor does one passage contain every element of truth. We need the whole scriptures. But we can't sing songs that don't accurately represent God or what it means to follow Christ. And I'm, I'm thankful for conversations that I've been privy to amongst our worship team members where they've talked and debated and, and, and discussed the lyrical contents of songs, considering should we sing this or not, kind of hammering it out. It's worth it. I'm sensitive to that too. Maybe some of you are too. You hear something that's like, does the Bible really teach that? Or I don't even know what that means. How can I sing this? I don't even know what that means. There's, a, there's an old, if you grew up in church, maybe, or a certain kind of church, maybe you remember a song like this that I remember hearing growing up. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. I just butchered that, by the way. I didn't mean to sing it. I was planning to read it, but something happened. I don't know the brain science behind it, but something clicked in my head, and I tried to sing it. I don't know why. But it's that last line that gets to me. And now I am happy all the day. Oh, really, are you? I've never met a Christian who's happy all the day, and certainly I'm not. I don't want to sing that. It's not true. And I don't want to teach that to anyone because I don't want people coming into discipleship believing that their life is going to be happy every day. It's a lie. And it's a lie that the devil uses because then it's followed by the lie, oh, God promised you you'd be happy all day. You're not happy all the day. I guess God lied to you. 
and faith is undermined. I don't mean to be overly dramatic about it, but the fact is it's, it's, it's not true. Doctrinal truth and theological depth is what we want, and, and there's no truth more vital and central than the gospel itself. It's of first importance, the gospel that we sang of this morning, the cross of Jesus Christ where, where we were redeemed. Not just our voices, but our bodies and our eternal souls. Where the blood of Christ was spilled for us so that any of us who believe in him have our debt paid and full acceptance with God. And so we want to sing again and again and again about the Savior who died and was raised again. I don't get tired of that. Lastly, singing is spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. I'll read Ephesians 5, 17 to 20 one more time. It says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, see, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's an analogy here that the Apostle Paul is drawing between being filled with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit. It's not that they're both exactly the same. On the contrary, they're both very different. Both of them, in one sense, have a powerful effect on our minds and our actions, our thoughts and our words. Alcohol and the Spirit both affect us powerfully. Alcohol takes over, and the Spirit takes over as well. But getting drunk leads to what? It leads to foolishness. It leads to sin. It leads to things that you wake up regretting deeply or maybe even live the rest of your life regretting deeply. What does drunkenness lead to? It leads to brokenness in families and lives. It leads to violence sometimes. It leads to shame. But what does filling with the Spirit lead to? Well, here's one thing it leads to. Singing to the Lord and to each other. And it leads to giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what the filling of the Spirit leads to. And so we might want to ask, well, how, how, do, how, do, how am I filled with the Spirit? How does this happen? How am I filled? Well, here's one way. We submit ourselves to God by taking in what he says to us in his word. And we ask. We, we submit ourselves to what he says in his Spirit-breathed word. And we ask for that spirit to fill us. And we respond to what he says to us with faith and with obedience is what Galatians 3.5 tells us. And every Christian has the spirit. And still we're all told to be filled. Again and again to be filled. And so we ask for filling. Lord, fill me again. Fill me. And we submit ourselves to God to humbly receive his filling. It's not passive. There's, a, there's an active asking and obeying and listening and receiving. And as we're filled, here's three things that the Spirit does. He drives us to, one, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Two, he drives us to sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart. And three, he drives us to give thanks always and for everything. We looked at the first two already, but that third one, give thanks. The Spirit drives you to give thanks. You can't give thanks Without him, not really, not in all circumstances. Can you really thank God for all things, everything in your life, even the things you're not happy about? Only the Spirit could bring us to a place where we can give thanks to him for those things. Even in the darkness, even in loss. 
You've been victimized? You've been hurt? Can you still live a life filled with thankfulness? Only by the power of the Spirit. It's impossible otherwise. He moves us to trust in the sovereign goodness of God. And, and, and he, he moves us to, to thank God for all things. And this giving thanks here, this is not trite, right? This isn't just like put a smile on, pretend everything is okay. It's not chipper. It's so much deeper than that. The loss of a child, abuse of a child, injustice suffered, betrayal. I don't put on a smile in the face of that. It's much deeper. The Spirit teaches us to weep with those who weep. The Spirit, same Spirit teaches us to abhor what is evil, to hate sin, to hate suffering and injustice. And all the while, to carry a deep confidence that somehow God is present and God is doing something good. We don't see it, we don't understand it, but we know that God is good because the Spirit has taught us through the Word that He breathed out. And so we give thanks for that. The overriding, underlying goodness of God. And so in our songs we thank Him. And with thankful hearts, we can say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. And if he has shed his own blood for my soul, then certainly he can be trusted. And so we hold on to that. We hold on by singing. The Spirit wants us to sing. He lives in us and wants us to sing. He wants us to give thanks. So get this. By singing, you are walking in the Spirit. You are acting according to His will. Even when you don't feel like singing, through the very act of lifting up our voices, the Spirit stirs our affections to love Jesus more. In fact, it's hard as you read this passage to even understand the cause and effect nature. It seems cyclical because it says, be filled with the Spirit and sing. But as you're singing, the Spirit is filling. There's a filling that comes as we sing intentionally, engaged with our hearts, ready to praise God. And so there's a filling and singing and filling and singing. And there's a cyclical, who knows where it starts and where it ends, but we know that it culminates in the glory of God. We get to sing, New Hope. Your voice has been redeemed by the Savior. We have a song to sing that he has given us. So let's sing together until we sing together on the other side. When all of his promises have been fulfilled. And there will no longer be songs of lament and songs of confession. Just songs of joy and praise. Let's offer sacrifices of praise now. What, what if, New Hope, what if we were all engaged and sincere before the Lord each time we sang? Not on fire. I'm not calling you to some kind of work yourself up. Not on fire. Not extroverted. Because the church is for introverts and for the quiet people and people who aren't crazy about singing too. I'm not saying be passionate on the way in. I'm saying what if we all came in humbly asking to be filled and willing to obey the call to sing. What might God do? Let's pray. Lord, we ask this question expectantly. And we ask it confidently because we know that 
you can do great things. And so we ask that you would draw us to yourself, not pretending to be someone we're not or somewhere we're not, not feigning emotion or trying to just emotionally manipulate one another into some heightened sense of feigned joy. No, we don't want any of that, Lord. But we do want to take the means that you've given us and believe that you will use them to deepen our love for you. So help us sing. And we ask that in the process, you would make the truths that we sing of truer to us, more believable, more precious. We want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.